So we are beginning a new series called Boot Camp for Beggars. We're talking about prayer. And I'm using the metaphor of boot camp because boot camp is all about a season of intentional and focused stinking hard work. It's that hard work, it's that physical exertion, it's the, it's the challenge of I'm going to put myself intentionally in a stressful, a situation that causes stress so that I can grow stronger, faster, better, and become more overall. Dallas Willard compares spiritual training to an athlete's training. So if you, have a, a, if you are a high school athlete and you're in high school sports, you get immersed in a whole world, right? It's not just you got a little bit of basketball a couple hours a day. It's a whole world. You, there, you have basketball every day. You have football and rugby every day. You do it through the summer. You do summer trainings. You have a community that you start to spend a lot of time with. Other friendships have to sit on the side for a little bit while you invest in this focused time of becoming disciplined in your sport. You start to spend more time with coaches and with people who specifically can train you in these ways. Similarly, in the spiritual life, it affects who you are spending a bulk of your time with, who you are submitting yourself to is, hey, you're a mentor, teach me this, teach me that, let me learn from you. And who you spend time with affects how you are trained. It also affects your diet, what you put into your body, how you treat your body, how you train your body. It involves mental work and how we athletes train their minds to be focused on the game. And as Christians, we train our minds, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is a holistic formation that is part of spiritual growth. And so when we have a boot camp approach, it's an intentional focused effort at growing stronger, faster, and better. We expect to be rigorous for sports, and we should also expect to be rigorous for Christ. So we want to build spiritual muscle, spiritual endurance, spiritual strength, and fully immerse into that world. So in the next few weeks, we are focusing on prayer. We're specifically focusing on a type of prayer called intercessory prayer, which is a kind of prayer that, frankly, is work. We just experienced prayer in worship. Can we just say thank you to the choir one more time? Choir, you are so much fun. So much fun. Please, thank you so much. So much fun. It was easy to pray those kinds of prayers, wasn't it? We were just praying worship prayers like, God, be blessing on, on our children, on our children, and God, you are so good. It was just rising up in us. And that's a, that's a worship kind of prayer. There, and there are other confession kinds of prayers. Today I want to talk about intercessory prayer, which is basically begging God for other people. Begging God for other people. Now, before I get any further, I want to pause and tell you how I'm going to end the message today because I want you to be thinking about this. Your challenge at the end of the day is going to be, I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to intercede for every day this next week? I want you to ask the Lord what he wants you to intercede for every day this week. I'm not asking you for, to make a list of things to pray for. I want you to ask the Lord how he, what one thing he wants you to intercede about this week. We'll come back to that. Boot camp for beggars. Boot camp, it's this training, submitting ourselves to this training. Why beggars? A few months ago, I was reading through the Gospels and was struck by the number of people who were always begging Jesus for things. 
and they use the word begging in the Gospels. This person came and they begged from Jesus. This person came and they begged from Jesus. And in many ways, intercessory prayer, that's what it is, is it's, it's begging. Intercessory prayer, in many ways, is the easiest kind of prayer because it just emerges naturally out of us. You don't have to teach desperate people how to pray. Desperate people just find themselves praying. Perhaps you've even heard stories of people who would say, I, I am a confirmed atheist, I'm a confirmed agnostic, and yet in this moment of anxiety and in this moment of difficulty, I found myself begging God, calling out to God. There's this natural impulse that rises up in us. There is a, a begging that naturally happens to us when we're in a crisis. So as I was reading through the Gospels, I was looking at some of these stories. There's the, this first picture on the screen is a picture of people bringing sick people to Jesus. Matthew 14 says, people brought all their sick to Jesus and begged him, begged him, begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. So it's the friends, it's the friends saying, okay, here, here's, my, here's my sick friend. Jesus, please, 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 let, let, let them just touch the hem of your robe. In Mark 7, there's a Greek woman and at this time, the message of the gospel is very specifically focused on the Jews. It wasn't time yet for the Greeks to be included. But this Greek woman said, Jesus, I don't even care about all that. I just, I just know you can help me, and I need your help, and I give me your help. Please, please, please. She, and she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. This is a mother who sees her child suffering under the influence of Satan. And the mother says, I cannot stand for this. Jesus, help my daughter, please. In Mark 7, 32, there are some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. And they begged him, Jesus, just, just put your hand on this man. Put your hand on this man, Jesus. He, he, he can't hear. He can hardly talk. We love him. Please help him. And then in Mark 8, it says they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Can't you just imagine the people helping along their blind friend? Okay, this way. He's over here. This way. He's over here. And bringing him, say, Jesus, we brought you this man. If anybody can do anything, it's you. Please. Please, Jesus, please. This is my friend. Please. Please, Jesus. And then in John 4, there's a royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. He's, his son, his little boy, is in a whole other town. And this is an official who's probably in some sort of government role over the Jews, probably in some sort of oppressive role and he's, he's, not a, he's not a Jew. He's not one of them. But this man who's very high up, high, high in the social ranks, high in the military ranks, humbles himself, and he's like, Jesus, please. It's my little boy. Jesus, please. It's my son. All of these are examples of people begging Jesus. And, and they're not begging Jesus for themselves. They're begging Jesus for the ones they love. They're bringing their blind, they're bringing their sick, they're bringing their burdens, and they're saying, Jesus, my loved one, my friend, my daughter, my son, the one who I love, please, Jesus, please, on their behalf, please, Jesus. It's not hard to know how to intercede. This is what interceding is. It's begging God for other people. You already know how to beg God. You already know how to do this because there's something natural that wells up inside of us. And yet I think as we talk about prayer in church, 
I have sensed that this is an area that we really could grow in as a congregation. I think we have done some good learning and some good practices in terms of us bringing our hearts to God. God, I pray for me. God, I pray for, for my needs. God, I pray for, for these immediate things. But I think that there is another layer of spiritual maturity, another level of spiritual maturity that God is inviting us into that involves interceding for other people, begging God for other people in a deeper, new way. I'm going to be using a Dutch Sheets book, The Beginner's Guide to Intercessory Prayer, for some of the material today. And I want to talk about the need to intercede. This is different than the kinds of prayers we often pray in our devotions, or the kinds of prayers that perhaps you often pray in church when you're praying for your personal needs. These are prayers that are specifically outwardly focused on other people. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, do you remember what he said? He said, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, and then he goes through that. And then there's the line that says, thy kingdom come, thy Thy will be done. This is a prayer that says, not my will, God, but yours be done. So when we talk about the need to intercede, the first point here is we need to ask God how he wants us to pray. Ask God how he wants us to pray. Not to just start praying, but say, how do you want to pray? What is your will in this, God? God, how do you want me to cover this? I want to give a few examples of things. In, our day, in the Day Alone with God that we just have, typically in our Days Alone with God with different prayer stations, they're intentionally focused on you connecting with God, on some sort of, of healing event or forgiving event about you and God. That's, that's been intentional. But this year, we had several other intentional prayer stations that were intercessory prayer stations. The first one is... Uh, in the back here, we had some pictures of Mongolia from the missionaries that we support in Mongolia. And I had reached out to Corey and Jen Ellison earlier and had said, hey, what prayer requests do you specifically want us to cover? And they gave us five things to pray through, some specific health needs. They have about 10 pastors that they serve there, some specific health needs for those pastors, a, a call for more church leadership, uh, more people to come to Christ, to discover Jesus as their Savior. Uh, these are deep, deep prayers of the church. And so uh, people prayed for those, uh, people saw the pictures, they prayed for those requests, and then uh, they wrote a letter. Uh, those who did pray wrote a letter to Corey and Jen just saying, hey, we, we uh, prayed for you, this is what we prayed for. I don't, I don't know what any of these letters say, they just say things like, this is what we prayed for for you. We've got all these letters that are going to go to them uh, this week. And mail to Mongolia is super slow, so probably they'll get them around Easter. But, um, you know, that's okay. Maybe some of these will be answered by that time. That's what we're hoping for. But these, this was a time not focusing on the personal needs of the participants of the dog day. It was a time for the participants in the day alone with God to partner with God in what God is doing in the world. Do you see how that's a different level of prayer than what we often do? Similarly, we had a prayer station for neighborhood ministries, and you are aware that we've been praying that God would show us how we can better reach our neighborhood, and just specifically, God, how do you want us to do neighborhood ministry here? And one of the things we had was a map of Grand Rapids. 
hung up on the wall, and people were invited to write their prayers of intercession for the city on post-it notes and just stick them on the map. So people prayed for all sorts of things. They, they prayed for those who are vulnerable on the streets, for safety, for shelter, for housing, uh, prayed for all different sorts of things. And so this was a prayer of intercession for our city. Again, do you see how it's a slightly different approach from focusing on our own needs, which we do need to pray about our own needs, but you see how it's a different kind of prayer of specifically interceding, begging God for things outside of ourselves. So we ask God, God, how do you want me to pray? There have been a lot of times when, when I've prayed up here with people, and sometimes I know what people are going through, and so I pray specifically about that. Sometimes I don't know what people are going through, and so I just ask the Lord, Lord, how do you want me to pray for them? And so often I have been surprised when I ask the Lord how, how when I start to pray, things come to mind that I don't know why I'm thinking them. And I'm not special in this way. The Holy Spirit does this with, with people. He does this with all of us. But I am so surprised how, how often things come to mind to pray about, and then I just start praying those things. There are also times when I think I know what to pray for, and then uh, I don't, like they're there for a totally other reason. It's always just good to ask God, God, how do you want me to pray for people? How cool would it be if we became the kind of people who just walk around all day, being available to God, saying, God, hey, walking into work right now, what, what do you want me to pray for? At work, doing your thing, take a phone call, hang up the phone call. Hey, God, is there anything... How, how do you want me to pray right now? On your lunch break, maybe you have a habit of praying before a meal. God, how do you want me to pray today? What if we became the kind of people who really got good at asking God how he wants us to pray? It would change prayer from being about us getting our agenda to us partnering with God in his purposes for this world. That's cool. So the purpose of this sermon series, this sermon series on boot camp for beggars, is to become this kind of person, this kind of praying person, so that we can become this kind of church, that we develop muscle, skill, and persistence in intercessory prayer, so we know what it means to gather up in a circle and to labor in prayer over a prayer need. I would love for us to become that in a deeper, deeper way. To become the kind of people whose first response is to pray. So we develop muscle and strength for intercession. So the need to intercede, we need to ask God how he wants us to pray. Number two, you need to know that you have authority to pray mighty prayers for others. So often we say, well, what is the purpose of praying? God is powerful. God is strong. God already knows what's going to happen. Like, why do I even bother. Also, I'm not good at prayer. I don't have the words to say. I don't know what to say. Also, who am I? Why would God listen to me? Why would the God of the universe pay attention to what I have to pray about Mongolia? But what you need to know, church, is that as a human being, humans are created in the image of God, unlike any of other God's creation. Humans stand alone is the crowning glory of God's creation. And the scripture is very clear back in Genesis that God has appointed people to rule and to have authority in this earth. 
In Genesis 1.28, the Lord says to the people, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Then what's that next word? Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God created humans. This is before the fall. God created humans to rule the creation, to have authority over the earth. God is the king, and we are the co-regents. We are the under-kings and under-queens. We are the under-rulers who have authority given from God to rule over the creation. He has given us this kind of position of authority. And so here we are now. The fall has happened. Evil has entered the world. Sin is in the world. This means that as humans, we have a right to go to God. We have a right to partner with prayer, partner with God in prayer against evil. We have a right to pray against brokenness, death, and disease. We have a right to say, the enemy does not have a place in me, has no right to be in me. We have the right to pursue those who are far from God and to resist rebellion. And so we are to partner with God in intercession for our lost and broken world. We are partners with God in the work of redemption, the work of restoration, the work of salvation and rescue that he is doing. God's plan is that people come to him in partnership with the work that we do. Now we forget this. And so if we were to, we forget the authority and the spiritual power that God has given to believers. And so if you were to ask, well, who's supposed to rule the earth? probably a lot of people would say, God. And God says, no, no. I have appointed you with my authority that I have delegated to you to rule this earth. You need to know you have a lot more authority, responsibility, and a call to leadership, specifically a call to spiritual leadership, than what you think you have. Often, We just don't even practice intercessory prayer because we just assume we don't have any power. We assume we're powerless. We assume we don't make a difference. But the reality of Scripture tells us that the truth is that we have this authority to do this work in the power of God. Hebrews chapter 2 has an interesting passage. So it's it's deep. So bear with me a minute. We'll go through it a couple times. It's it's short, but it's deep. Hebrews 2 verse 5. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come. Let me say that again. It is not to angels that God has subjected the world to come. God has not given the world to the angels. He's given the world to whom? Us. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. If you are looking at this passage in a physical Bible, you will see that verses 6 through 8 look like they're in a poetry form, and that's because it is a poem that is lifted out of the book of Psalms. So the, the author of Hebrews is writing and then takes a section of Psalms and inserts it in there. 
So this passage says it's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come. He hasn't given the world to angels. He's given the world to humans. And the psalm says, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. When we, when we tell God, who am I to pray? Why, why would I pray that people would come to know Jesus? Why would I pray that people would get saved? Why would I pray for another country across the ocean? Why would I pray for my city? Who am I? And God says, I'll tell you who you are. You are a little lower than the angels. You are crowned with glory and honor, church. And church, I have put everything under your feet. That is who you are. This is the authority that God has given to us. And so church, what do you do with great authority? What do you do with great power? What do you do with great opportunity to lead? You better use it. You better use all the good that you have. We have a responsibility and a calling and a commissioning from God to partner with him through prayer and the work that he is doing in this world. This is part of our God-given dominion over the earth, and we need to use our God-given dominion for good, proactive good. Are you not blown away by who you are and what you are called to? The need to intercede. Remember who you are and whose you are. Point number three. There are some things, there are some things that will only happen if we intercede for them. There are some things that will not happen if we do not intercede for them. God's plan is and always has been to work through people. Let me give you a few examples of scripture of God waiting for our prayers before he acts. Now, if you want to ask me to explain the mind of God in this, I cannot. All I can do is tell you what the scripture says happens when we pray. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, the Lord is saying, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So the good thing he's offering is he's going to hear from heaven. He's going to what their sin? Forgive their sin and do what to their land? Heal their land. Forgiveness, healing, that sounds like a good life, right? And he says in order to get that, there's something you need to do. You need to do what to yourself? Humble. And what? And then what? And then what? Seek. And then what? Turn. There is a partnership that's happening here. There is prayer that needs to happen. That, and when that prayer happens, that unleashes God in heaven, and he forgives sin and heals land. Similarly, there's another story, the story of the prophet Isaiah in 1 Kings 17. Isaiah, good guy, he's a prophet. There's an evil king. God says the evil king is 
not okay. I'm going to send a punishment on the land to punish the evil king. He says, Elijah, I'm going to use you to bring my judgment on this evil king. So he said, Elijah, I want you to pray that it will stop raining. I'm going to send a drought. And Elijah, you, my prophet, you pray that it will stop raining. So Elijah goes, okay, may it stop rain. And he, stop, he prays for the rain to stop. And this lasts for three and a half years. Years. Eventually, three and a half years later, the Lord comes back to the prophet Elijah and he says, okay, Elijah, it is time for the famine to end. Elijah, I want you to pray that the rain will come again. So Elijah prays. Elijah actually prays seven times for the rain to begin before the answer comes. And then it rains. James 5.17, so jumping to the New Testament, the New Testament has a word to say about this thing that happens with Elijah. James 5.17 says, Elijah was a man just like us. Oh, let's read that out loud together. Elijah was a man You got that? Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. He prayed, this happened. He prayed again, and then this happened. It was Elijah's intercessory prayers that first held the rain back, and then Elijah's intercessory prayers that then released the rain. This was another example of, could God have sent the rain without Elijah praying? I suppose so. I suppose God can do whatever he wants. But over and over in Scripture, we see God requiring prayer to unleash his work in this world. People, you and me, participants in God's kingdom. There's a third example, a story of Daniel, another prophet in the Old Testament. Daniel is such an interesting character, such an interesting book, and Daniel is living in captivity, in the Babylonian captivity under King Darius, and he has a reasonable degree of freedom, but they're still like in bondage in a land that they don't belong in. So that's the context for Daniel chapter 9. And Daniel writes, In the first year of Darius, ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded, another word for begged, pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked. We have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and your laws. And he goes on and he goes on and he goes on, confessing, 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 pouring out his heart, begging that God will come and rescue the people. It's a fascinating story. Three weeks pass. Nothing has happened. Three weeks pass. Daniel is still mourning. He is still fasting. He is still praying. And then this happens in Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, anybody remember Gabriel? Same Gabriel. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in an earlier vision, came to me in swift flight, 
about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given. Now wait, when did Daniel start to pray? Three weeks ago. The passage, I'm just going to summarize here, the passage goes on to talk about how three weeks ago, when Daniel started to pray, to pour out his heart in intercession for his country and for God to save his people, God sent Gabriel right away to go and speak to Daniel. But something happened on the way of Gabriel getting from heven to Daniel. There, he, there, is a, there is a spiritual war that happens. Something ends up blocking Gabriel's arrival for a time. And this passage, it's a very rare kind of passage in scripture, gives us a glimpse of the spiritual wars that are waged beyond what we can see. And Gabriel tells Daniel that there has been resistance in the heavenly realms, resistance from evil spiritual forces. There has been a great war in the heavens between the angels and the evil spirits. And they ha he has been in battle, and that is the cause of the delay. But it is Daniel's persistent prayers that have caused there to be a breakthrough, which is why Gabriel is now standing before Daniel. That's crazy. Daniel is this lesson in perseverance, which is something we need to study another time, but he's this lesson in perseverance of he doesn't see anything going on, he doesn't know what's going on, but he's just faithfully persisting, persisting, persisting as this war in the heavenly realm wages. We forget, we forget that there's more to this world that we can see, that there is another realm and that our prayers are doing things at this realm. We sometimes get glimpses of what our prayers do in this realm. We rarely get glimpses of what our prayers are doing up here. But we need to know, the scriptures are clear, that things are happening up there as we pray. Prayer changes things. There are some things that will only happen if we intercede for them. Which brings us to our fourth point. Number four, the plan, God's plan for humanity from all along, has always been God plus me working together. I don't know why God does it this way. I mean, he couldn't choose a more exasperating species to work with other than humans. <laughs> but God's plan from the beginning because he loves us because we're made in his image and we're more like him than any of his other creations. And he says, you are my beloved. You drive me crazy, but you are my beloved people and you are my sons and my daughters. And I, I've come after you and I'm chasing you and I love you and I want you. His plan from the beginning is that we would rule this world. That we would rule this world under his authority according to his kingdom. Partnering together. I say partnering, but he, he's in charge but it's participating with him in the work. It's not God's exception to use us. It is his plan. It's not like once in a while he uses humans to get done this work. We think God's working out his kingdom in ways we can't see, and we don't know how God's bringing his kingdom about, and God, do your thing. God says, no, that's not what this is about. This is about you participating in the outworking of my kingdom on this earth as it is in heaven. You are part of this. This is his plan A. He, we are his plan. And he wants us to approach his throne boldly. That's the scripture line that talks about boldly coming to the Lord with intercessory prayer, begging him to move, asking God, God, intervene. God, jump in. God, bring an end to it, war and, and justice and evil. 
God, do your work. Bring your kingdom. God's plan of intercession is not to work independently of us, but to work with us. We're his representatives here on earth. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We are the representatives. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are a chosen representative of God in this world. If you are a believer in Jesus and you are a son or daughter of God, you are chosen by him to represent him to this lost, broken, and hurting world who desperately needs salvation, desperately needs rescue, who desperately needs healing of sight for the blind, healing of hearing for the deaf, healing of those who are sick, bringing back to life from the dead. God is bringing his kingdom and he's using us as his representatives to do it. And he'll use us more if we are willing participants and he'll use us more if we are praying participants. We have been called to the work of intercessory prayer. And it is work, church. It is work. With the Mel Trotter invitation that we have before us that Adam was just talking about a few minutes ago. On the same day that Mel Trotter called us and asked us to participate, just a few hours prior, our church staff got together for prayer. It's our Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon prayer. And uh, it's, of course, we pray together other times. We pray at our staff meeting, we pray at our leadership meetings. We do, you know, we do that sort of thing. It's kind of good to do, especially when you work in a church and uh, especially when you're Christians. But the Tuesday thing is something we started a few months ago, where we simply gather for prayer. Whoever's in the building, whatever staff is in the building, we gather for prayer at noon on Tuesdays. Just pray for a little bit. And we had just had a a heartfelt prayer time. One of the people prayed for those who are on the streets in the weather. And it was, it's during the real cold days. Tuesday was a really cold day. And of course, we pray about that all the time. We do. I mean, we pray about it here in church all the time. But there was something in that moment when we were all feeling it. We've, we've had the people come in off the streets. We've seen the people on Sunday mornings. Some of you come to church and you're damp on Sunday mornings because you've been out in the elements. And it's so hard. So we prayed. We were, we're praying that day for it. And then a few hours later, we get this phone call from Mel Trotter. We had asked previously, hey, could we send volunteers? And as Adam mentioned, they had a, a change in plans along the way. And, at the, and they had said before, no, we, it, it's not going to work to have volunteers. It needs to be something different. So we... We had asked before and gotten a no, and that was fine. They were figuring something else out until, until they got stuck. And um, when they called us and said, would you consider? Here, we just prayed about this a few hours ago. Coincidence? I mean, if you don't have any faith, maybe you think it's coincidence, but I'm just like, wow. Makes me think that something in that prayer unleashed something and doors were opened for our participation in some way. I want to share with you, too, uh, a story from this book that Dutch Sheets shares. And he talks about going to assist on a mission trip in Guatemala. There had been a terrible earthquake. There, 30,000 people had killed, a million people were homeless, and uh, teams of people were going there to help rebuild homes and and uh, reestablish communities and help people pick up the pieces. And he's, he said they started doing evening services 
in the center of the village preaching the gospel of Jesus, just explaining it's the love of Jesus that brings us here and brings our time, our money, and our resources, and we just believe that Jesus loves you too, and he can change your life. And so they're bringing this good news. They, they were there to represent Christ to people. And he writes, we'd been ministering for one week with very few people coming to Christ. The people were listening but not responding. I was to preach on the final night of our trip. Just as the service was about to begin, a team member told me about something he and the others had found on the far side of the village. A little girl, six or seven years old, was tied to a tree. Not believing what they were seeing, they asked the family that lived there, why is this little girl tied to that tree? It was obvious that she lived there. She, it was like a dog in a backyard, nasty, filthy, helpless, alone, tied up. She's crazy, the parents replied. We can't control her. She hurts herself and others and runs away if we turn her loose. There's nothing else we can do for her, so we just have to tie her up. My heart broke as the team member shared what he had seen. It was on my mind as we began the service, and a few minutes into my message, standing on the folding table under the stars, the same God who had asked me to represent him in Guatemala began speaking to me again. The Lord said, tell them you're going to pray for the little girl across the village tied to the tree. Tell them you're going to do it in the name of this Jesus that you've been preaching about. Tell them that through Jesus, you're going to break the evil powers controlling her and that when she is free and normal, they can then know that what you are preaching is true. They can believe that the Jesus you are preaching about is who you say he is. Represent me, son. Represent me. With fear and trembling, I then began informing the people about what I was planning to do. I'm a human representative, just like you, and sometimes representing God can be intimidating. They nodded in recognition as I mentioned the girl. Expressions of intrigue turned to astonishment as they listened to my plans. And then I prayed. On a moonlit night in a tiny remote village of Guatemala with a handful of people as my audience, my life changed forever. I was about to truly experience the meaning of being Christ's representative on earth. Jesus became alive to us. A yesterday Jesus became a today and forever Jesus. A Galilee Jesus became a Guatemala Jesus. And a new plan unfolded to me. A new concept emerged. Jesus and me. For the first time, I truly understood the heavenly pattern. God and me working together. Me, a mere mortal, a human, becoming a conduit for the power of God on earth, the provision of the cross flowing through a person, an earthling, God's infiniteness somehow manifesting through my finiteness. In a simple prayer, I presented the needs of the girl to the Father, and I presented the finished work of Christ in her behalf. Yes, he set the little girl free. Yes, the village turned to Christ. Yes, Jesus prevailed through one of his representatives, an intercessor on earth. It is not God's exception to use us. We are the plan. We are his plan to do his work in this world. And church, I believe that God wants to take us deeper into prayer, that we are being invited into interceding in deeper ways than we ever have before. I think that we can become the kind of church that gathers around and perseveres and pleads before God together, holding up 
prayer burdens before God, begging God to intervene, asking God to release his power in this world. And I believe that there are big things that God wants to do through that. With our focus on neighborhood ministries and on Mongolia, as well as just our, our love for our city and our community in general, God wants us to partner with his divine power that is at work in this world. And intercessory prayer is the way we do it. So what does that look like? I do think it looks like what happens at our altar on Sundays changes. I think that we understand this is a place where work is done. And so some of you intentionally need to come to church ready to do ministry, ready to serve one another, ready to minister with one another, presenting needs to God. I think it affects our conversations. The phrase, you're talking with somebody and the phrase, hey, can we pray about that right now? I would love it if all of you could practice saying that. Can, can we pray about that right now? Can we take a minute and just pray? Let that become a natural part of how you speak to one another and what you do. Our life groups. Life groups do a very important thing of helping us focus on our prayers between us and God. But I think life groups can also be stretched to do intercessory prayer for one another and even beyond the life group. There's already tight-knit community there. Let's use it to bring our power and our community together to do the intercessory work of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Staff and board meetings. We pray, we always pray together. We pray every time. But recognizing that prayer is our first and our deepest work. Neighborhood ministries, we're, we're praying that God would show us what to do. And don't underestimate the role that prayer has in this discernment process as we seek to understand how does God want us to engage more deeply in our community. Mongolia and other countries, what if we begged God, what if we begged God for Mongolia? What if we begged God that there would be an outbreak of people coming to Christ? A, 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 a huge influx of people into the kingdom? What if we prayed against the powers that hold people in bondage? And what if we pray for an outbreaking of the gospel there? I have a feeling that if we pray for those things, we're praying in line with God's heart for the world. There's a line that says, let our hearts break with the things that break the heart of God. And the, role, the work of the intercessor is to let your heart be broken with how God's heart is broken so that you will beg with God for the work that he wants to do here today. God has some powerful work for us to do. Will you enter into the boot camp, the work, the discipline, the training, the practice, the experimentation, will you enter into the boot camp and participate as a beggar before God, pleading on behalf of this world to our God who is our only hope, our only salvation.